turn uh, on your Bible app. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 today. Um, this is the second to last chapter of the book of Hebrews, and it is, it's probably my favorite chapter, so I'm very excited to share this morning. Um, it's just so full of uh, rich truth um, from God's word this morning, and just truth that we can hold on to as we um, live our Christian life. Um, and so I'm very excited to share with you today what God's been teaching me, and I'm very excited to get to share in person this morning. As you may or may not know, if you were watching online while we were um, while we were having church online, I got to share a couple of the um, sermons from Hebrews. I got to share on Hebrews chapter three and chapter four. Um, but I'm very excited to be in person today. Uh, in person, it's a lot easier because you get I can get some feedback from you guys. I can tell if I'm making sense um, with, you know, if you guys are giving me nods or smiles or something like that, or I can tell if I'm not making any sense or I'm speaking heresy and I'm getting some weird looks and some frowns and, pfft, no, that's not right. So <laughs> thankfully no one has done that before, um, although I have gotten a few frowns from my wife um, as I've been speaking, but, and I ask her about it afterwards, and it's, it's because, not because I'm speaking heresy, but because normally it's because I'm talking about her and she doesn't know what I'm going to say. So <laughs> she'd probably be frowning right now if I hadn't told her I was going to say this. But anyway, uh, I don't want to waste any more time this morning. Uh, there's just so much to cover, as I said, in this chapter. I could probably spend an hour and still not be able to get through this chapter because it's so rich. Um, and uh, the way we're going to read it this morning is we're going to kind of start in the middle. I'm going to kind of just cover the first half of the chapter. So we're going to start with verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to come back to verse 1 and 2 at the end. And the reason I'm doing that is because I think that verse 1 and 2 are really just kind of the, the culmination of this entire book of Hebrews, of just what um, we are looking towards in our Christian race, that um, what Hebrews is pointing towards, and that's Jesus, because Jesus is greater, so, um, and he's our hope and reward that we look towards, so, let's start in verse 3 today, as I said, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will no longer, or so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Okay, so what is the author talking about here? Um, who's he addressing? Um, as you may know, if you've been listening to this um, Hebrew sermon series, that the author is addressing the Jewish believers at the time. And um, he is again telling them here to consider Jesus. To consider Jesus because he is greater. And they're saying here in verse 3 and 4 that Jesus endured a lot of hostility from non-believers. So much hostility, in fact, that he, uh, his blood was shed for us. And so much that he even died on a cross for our sins. And he uh, was um, died a very painful death um, all because he loves us. And the author is encouraging the Jews here that um, if Jesus was able to endure that, um, then we can endure as well. And the truth is that for those of us who are in Christ, we will never have to, even if we get to the point, God forbid, that we shed blood for our relationship with him, that we are persecuted for our salvation. Again, God forbid that that would ever happen, but even, even if that does happen, we will never have to experience the same thing that Jesus did for us, because though we are all sinners, so we deserve penalty for our sin. We deserve separation from God, 
and we deserve death for our sins. But Christ, on the other hand, he lived a sinless life. He did not deserve any punishment because he never sinned. And yet he bore all of our sin. He bore your sin and he bore my sin on the cross and he died for us all because of how much he loves us. And he bore the wrath of God, something that he never deserved to bear, all because he loves us. So he took that punishment away from us so that we will never have to bear anything remotely close to what he did. All right, so let's just keep reading in verse 5. So it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which was addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In verse 8. But if you are without discipline, come, all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. And I really like this passage of verses because it teaches us here that discipline is actually a good thing. That it shows us that God loves us. And as we see in verse 9, it talks about how our earthly fathers discipline us, and we accept it, right? And we're even maybe grateful for it. So, show of hands, how many of you here wish that your parents never disciplined you growing up? You had never, you never had any consequences for your actions. You could just do whatever you wanted, and there was nothing bad would happen. Some fake hands are coming up. I see no real hands. I'm guessing, unless you're lying. <laughs> so, yeah, none of us, none of us, because we know that the discipline of our parents has caused us to grow in our maturity and has strengthened us, right? And if our, like I know for me personally, if my parents never disciplined me, I would be a horrible human being. I would be, I'm already probably a horrible human being, but I would be so self-centered and only focused about myself. I would not care about anyone else in the world because I was never taught that there's consequences for my actions so I could just do whatever I wanted. You know, we would be terrible people. And that's the point of discipline. The point of discipline is it strengthens us. It grows us in our maturity. And um, this passage is explaining here that um, now I see as an adult growing up, my parents disciplined me to the best of their ability. Um, but because they're sinful human beings, even they, they didn't discipline me perfectly. You know, sometimes they disciplined me too harshly when they should have been more lenient, and sometimes maybe they didn't discipline me harsh enough. You know, they're not perfect, and so their discipline isn't perfect. And even so, I respected them, and I tried to obey them as much as I could. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that if we respect our earthly parents who discipline us, to the best of their ability, but are not perfect. If we respect their discipline, we should also respect the discipline of our Heavenly Father. Because, as we see in verse 10, they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but He, our Heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. So through His disciplining us as His children, we are made righteous, or we are made holy. And look at verse 11. It says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet those who have been trained by it 
afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So I was, I was kind of expecting maybe some of the kids to raise their hand if they were listening. I don't know if they were, but um, because they're kind of in the season of growing up and being disciplined by their parents every day. And as the first society, you guys, we all know, when you're disciplined in the moment, it's not fun. You know, you don't like it and you don't see the fruit of it. But as you are trained by it, as this verse says, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It yields maturity and strength. So then we should be saying, you know, by all means, Lord, like discipline me, strengthen me in my relationship with you. Um, we should welcome the Lord's discipline because it's for our good, right? That um, it means that one, he loves us and that we're his children. And two, because of his, his discipline is for our good and as we endure it, we grow stronger and are trained up and made righteous. And I think I've given this example before, but in order to build up strength and endurance, we actually have to endure hardship. We have to endure struggle. And, um, you know, you aren't, if you never exercise a day in your life and you wake up one day and you say, I'm going to run a marathon today, you know, you can try, I guess. You can certainly say that. But if you actually try to do it, it's not going to work out. You know, you're going to get a mile or two in, maybe even five miles if you're really pushing yourself, but eventually you're going to pass out from either heat exhaustion or muscle fatigue, you know, whatever it is, it's not going to work. You can't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to run 23 miles at one time, you know. No, you don't do that. What you do is you start one of those running training programs. You know, have you ever heard of those, like, couch to marathon, couch potato to 5K training programs? You do one of those, and those programs, they start you off really, really small. You know, the first week or so, I'd say maybe the first week is you run for a minute and then you walk for 30 seconds, run for a minute, walk for 30 seconds, and you do that, you know, six or seven times, and that's your whole workout for the day. And then as you are doing the training workout throughout the weeks, you get to a point where maybe a few weeks in, you're running eight or 10 miles at a time, you know, in one training day. And then towards the last week or two, maybe you're running a half marathon or even a full marathon in one day. And if you were to try to do the, the last week of the, of the running program the first week, you would you wouldn't make it, as I said before. You, it takes time and it takes determination to build up that strength and build up that endurance. And that is what we're called to do by God. As we know, we're all sinful by nature, and because of this, the discipline of the Lord will come our way. God will make clear to us, if we're growing in our relationship with him every day, the Lord will make clear to us the areas where we need to grow, and we need to be changed by um, him. And at times, it may not seem like God is working for our good, as the passage says. It may seem like, you know, he's bringing guilt on us or shame for our, our sins or, you know, difficult circumstances coming in our life just one after another sometimes. You know, it feels like you're finally having victory in this one area and you feel like, okay, everything's going to be great. My relationship with God is awesome and rock solid. And then, you know, all of a sudden something else comes your way and you're like, man, what are you doing, God? You know, and... You know, there are things that happen to us that we just don't understand. There are things that happen in our lives that we just can't explain, and yet we're still called to trust in God and endure. But, but how do we do this? Well, let's look back at verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 12, which says, Therefore, 
since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this author is not saying here that the Christians who have gone before us, and he says the witnesses, um, the Christians who we learned about in Hebrews chapter 11 that Mike shared about who by faith did this, you know, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, they did these things through their faith in the Lord. Um, he's not saying here that they are currently from heaven witnessing us every day. They're not witnessing our Christian battle, our Christian walk or race. They are, in other words, a witness here would be example. They are our example that we get to see that by faith they did this, and so like them, they are our witness or they are our examples. So let us also, like they did, lay aside our sins, lay aside our frustrations, our, our doubts with the Lord, and um, for putting us through ridiculous circumstances, and let us run the race that is set before us with endurance. And uh, the author of Hebrews here, and Paul as well, um, in some of his books that, books that he writes, uh, he compares the Christian life to running a race as well. And this word race in the Greek word, the word that these writers were writing in, writing it in, uh, is the word agon, um, which is actually where we get the word, the English word agony from. And because it means a struggle or contest or a battle. So, in other words, running the Christian race is, it's going to be a battle. It's not going to be easy. Um, you know, God straight up tells us in his word, you know, through Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, you know, they hated me first and they're also going to hate you. And, but there are a few things that we need to, to know and remember about a race. And number one is, how does a race end? If we run a race with endurance and we run to the best of our ability, how does a race end? A race ends in a prize. A prize. Our battle will not be in vain. That if we run with endurance and determination, we will receive a great, great reward. And number two, the race that we run is not against fellow Christians. Though all Christians are running in this race, um, this Christian life, we are not running against each other. You know, it's not a comparison of who can be better. It's not, you know, well, Timmy reads his Bible 10 minutes a day, and he prays 10 minutes a day, but I read my Bible 30 minutes a day, and I do, you know, I do this, I volunteer, blah, blah, blah. It's not about that. We're not comparing ourselves to other believers. And it's also not a comparison of who can have more faith in God. Um, you know, we're not trying to compare um, who has more trust in the Lord and who relies on him more. Though we should absolutely, you know, do our best every single day to grow closer and grow stronger in our relationship with him and our trust in him. That is very true, but we are not doing it against fellow believers. Because number three, the third point about a race is that the race that we run is not against fellow believers, it's only against our own sinful flesh and against the enemy, Satan. And the only way we can fight against our own sinful flesh is through the power of the Holy Spirit working inside us and providing us strength to run this race with endurance. And the last thing about a race that I want to note is, and probably the most important thing about a race, is where are we looking when we run this race? And if you're running a race on like a racetrack and track and field, I think I have a photo of, yeah, if, you have a, um, if you're running a racetrack like, say, the 100-meter dash, Every single person in the race has their own lane that they're in. They're in between the two lines on either side, and they have a number 
for their lane. And if at any point in the race you step over your lane as you're running, you are immediately disqualified from the race. And if anyone steps into your lane from theirs, they are immediately disqualified. And a lot of people think that, if you've never run track before, a lot of people think that when you're running your race, the, way, the place you should look is down kind of at your feet, right in front of you, so you can clearly see the lines on the side of you and see where your feet are so that you don't accidentally step over the lines. But any decent track coach will tell you that when you're running a race, you actually shouldn't look at your feet because that makes it actually really easy to lose your balance and step on the line because you're only looking you know, a foot in front of you. But in reality, where you should look is you keep your eyes up and you look at the finish. You look where you're running and where you're going. You look at the prize that you're going towards, and that will keep you perfectly in line in your lane. And it is the exact same thing in the spiritual race that we run. As we run this race, where do we fix our eyes? Let's read verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before us, and despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is our prize. To be with him for all eternity, that is what we look towards, and that is what we run towards in this race. As we persevere with endurance, keep our eyes up and look to him. Don't be discouraged by your current situation. Don't be discouraged by the current sin you're struggling with or difficult trial or circumstance you're in, whether it's you know, financial trouble or whatever it is. Don't get discouraged looking at your feet, looking where you currently are, but get your eyes up and look to the King. Look to Jesus because he is who we run to. He is our prize and our reward that we need to fix our eyes on. And if you're sitting here this morning listening or you're listening online um, and you know that you haven't taken that step out in faith and placed your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and committed to having a relationship with him. I don't want to discourage you this morning from, from making that step out in faith because you're out of fear, you know, that you're going to place your faith in Jesus and then all of a sudden he's going to make clear to you all your horrible sins or whatever that you do. Um, you know, because though as believers God does make clear to us our sin and our need for him, he also promises to walk alongside us. He promises to walk with us. And as I said before, you know, don't get caught in your current situation. Don't get focused and, and doubtful or uh, discouraged by what you're currently wrestling with. But get your eyes up. Look to Jesus because he is our prize. And uh, if you were here last week or watched Mike share on Hebrews 11, he did a really great job. And uh, I loved his analogy on the court. I'm actually going to steal it because I hope he doesn't get offended. But <laughs> I hope it's flattery, not um, annoyance. Because it, it was so great. So um, he was comparing the, the cord right here. I'll try to keep the mic in front of my mouth. That this little black cap of the cord um, represents our time on earth. And can you guys see it? This cap represents our time on earth, and this end, so this is where we begin, our, when we're conceived by our mother and father, this is where we begin, and to the end of the cap, that's our entire life on earth, and then the rest of the cord, I imagine, it goes on forever, it doesn't have another end, and that is where we are spending eternity, after we leave the earth, whether we die or whether Jesus comes back, this is where we're spending eternity, and imagine it just goes on forever and ever and ever. And 
So if you compare the two, if you look at this little cap, if you look at this little part, this is our life, this seems super, super insignificant, right? And compared to the span of eternity, like this is what, maybe an inch or two in comparison to an infinite rope. And yet, how we spend this is incredibly crucial and in where we're going to spend this. Incredibly crucial. So if that's you today, I want to encourage you to take that step out in faith and trust in the hope the author is speaking of here. To trust in Jesus because he has done all the work already. The work is done and he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he's waiting for you to come to him by faith. And I want to end by reading the last four verses of Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. And Hugh actually read this he actually read this passage at prayer night this week on Wednesday, if you were here. And I think it was just so of God, because in that moment, I just felt like God was telling me, I need to put this in my sermon. Um, because I think it just ties in perfectly with the message I was preparing for today. And it says, he, uh, Psalm 24, verse 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Our God is the King of glory, and let's just run this race with endurance and lift our heads, fix our eyes on him as we run.